what's really good, everybody. This is Nathan Albach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. I've been uh, getting feedback from people on Twitter and in real life over what sorts of guests you're all interested in hearing more of, and the response has unsurprisingly been more social media and internet culture personalities, so I'm going to make it a point to get more people in those spheres on the show and keep that as a primary focus going into 2019. We'll still be doing shows with people in media and politics and spirituality and music and all the other areas of interest we've hit so far, so if that's the stuff you're into, don't worry, it's still going to be there. I just want to make the focus of the show more on what the most people listening are interested in. So, yeah, fun stuff in the pipeline. And as always, you can hit me up on Twitter or wherever on social with any feedback you've got. Anyway, for today's episode, I got to talk with Brandon Roten. Brandon was the VP of Marketing at Wendy's. He formed and led the team of superstars over there that blew up their Twitter account with tons of viral moments that we've all come to know from the whole Nugs for Carter deal to their sassy clapbacks and roasts, uh, many of which were notably done actually by Amy Brown, who I've also gotten to talk to on the podcast. Uh, Him and I spoke the other month on the phone about just the climate of content creators on social media and a bunch of other stuff. And right away, I just had the feeling like He really cared and was invested in the culture in a way that I don't see that often with advertisers. So yeah, he's currently the CMO of Potbelly Sandwich Works and has been revamping their whole social game. So if you haven't checked them out on Twitter, they're totally worth a follow. Um, They've been, in my opinion, the best emerging food brand account online, which now that I'm saying that out loud sounds so weird, but this is my life. So it is what it is. <laughs> we got into a bunch of stuff throughout our conversation just with brands online and how the landscape has changed the past few years. We talked about what it's like building a brand voice on Twitter compared to other platforms, just how you can flesh it out in ways that really aren't available on platforms like Facebook or Instagram or wherever, and just how to navigate the weird space of being a brand within online communities, which is something Brandon referred to almost as being a guest in someone's house and needing to act in accordance to that. Uh, It was a real fun conversation, and I hope you all enjoy it. Now let's get into what's really good. Brandon, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, well, you and I were just talking before we started recording this, and there's so many places we could jump off with here since we share a lot of the same space on social media with our brands right now. But for people who just don't know anything about you, could you just briefly get into your background and what you do a little bit? Sure. So, uh, you know, I started in marketing on the agency side. I worked on actually tech and B2B clients. Uh, Somehow found my way to fast food. Um, Wendy's was looking to build a digital team. So I came in to to run that uh, in 2011. Uh, The brand was also kind of in a 
uh, a downturn at that time. So my crew and, and ultimately the, the larger marketing department was charged with trying to turn it around. Uh, that led to uh, building a team, building a uh, kind of new brand strategy, everything from the logo to the you know restaurant design to uh, the presence on social media all became kind of a piece that uh, my team touched or, or in some cases even ran. Um, so it was, was Wendy's from 2011 till 2017, got to do all kinds of fun stuff there like, um, you know, get snarky and, and nugs for Carter and, uh, you know, boys to men got to sing to a cheeseburger while I was there, all kinds of goofy stuff. Uh, that led me to, uh, you know, my gig now, really, which uh, I'm the CMO of Potbelly. So uh, kind of the same situation in that the brand's been a little bit behind for the last couple of years and, and building a team, reworking the brand strategy and, and been playing a lot over the last few months as I've kind of gotten online and uh, plan to get this thing growing here in, the, in uh, 2019. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because I feel like a lot of the people in today's climate, at least, because social media moves so fast, so every year almost feels like five or ten years, and it feels like a lot of the people maybe today who follow like the Wendy's brand on Twitter or Moon Pie or any of these other sort of pop culture relevant type brands, they might not know that like when you joined the team and you started like revamping stuff around 2011 that Wendy's the company was actually on sort of a down turn. So, I mean, could you get into a little bit, like, what was that like at going into the company trying to reboot and rebrand and try all this new stuff? Like, was there a lot of trial and error? Or, like, how did you go about that initial team building and uh, rebranding? Yeah, so um, if you do some Googling and go back to, like, 2010, 2011, uh, Wendy's used to be a part of a bigger group that included Arby's. And when the two companies split, uh, Wendy's was at several years of negative traffic at that point, or pushing 10 years, actually, of negative traffic at that point. Um, that's all public information. You can go find it. It's a public company. Um, and And... The board essentially decided to bring in a new CEO, which led to sort of a revamp of a lot of functions in the organization. And when I joined in 2011, um, I actually was a bit hesitant to take the job because the brand was in a, a really rough spot. Uh, you know, the, the physical space of the offices uh, felt like an accountant's office. Mm. Uh, it was quiet. Uh, people were... Uh, sort of dug in to the idea that, you know, we just have to hold on to what's left versus grow things. And um, and marketing wasn't really a significant driver. Marketing at the time was, you know, run as many TRPs on TV as you can because that used to right. work. And, and to the organization's credit, to the board's credit, to the new CEO's credit, to the franchisee's credit, to everybody's credit, they knew that that, that wasn't sort of what the brand was built to be. If you think about Wendy's, Wendy's was established through media. Where's the beef in, in 84 became the rally cry, the positioning of the brand. And then Dave Thomas, you know, the, the founder of the brand was on TV for, you know, 20 plus years where he was driving the business through marketing. So it was a sort of a, a brand that knew it had a strong and differentiated position. It knew that marketing could drive that position and ultimately success in the business. It just hadn't really done it in a while. So, you know, when when I came in, 
and and got to got to build out a team there really weren't a whole lot of rules and in part that's because things were pretty bad so you know the, the company was in a position where you know the the downside had less potential than the upside right, kind right. of thing but also uh you know the space that i was charged to build out most restaurants didn't play in most brands didn't really even play in in 2011 yeah were there so, other like what brands even were there on social at that time was it like taco bell was there like any was it arby's or denny's yeah so arby's had a bit they like had a, a moment or two with that hat you know, the pharrell thing i think in 2013 right. or whatever that was it was just after we started building a team um taco bell had a bit of a presence and it was it was a little more aggressive but it it I wouldn't say it was a driver of their business necessarily. Um, Dell really had the biggest presence. It was really through things like message boards and chat boards and all that where they were actually acting as a brand. Um, Coke was sort of the standard in places like Facebook uh, where they just had media to spend, I think, and a consistent voice. So – so really, that, that if, if you if you think back to that time, that was when digital marketers, anyway, and and I was a marketer, but I I kind of found myself more into digital marketing than else. Digital marketers really had to prove their worth. Mm-hmm. So the game it was the for most brands it was still about reach. It was still about spend on traditional media, primarily television, especially if you're a big brand. And digital marketing was this rounding error. That's exactly how it was when I joined the brand. It was like this little piece of this large, large media budget. And because we started to get some attention after we established sort of the the basics of the voice in 2011, 2012, uh, we started getting more kind of clout and more ability to, to drive things. And that led to me running all advertising, all media, all creative, everything with digital sort of as the center of the hub by, you know, 2013, 2014 ish time frame. Uh, so I was in charge of the media budget at that point in total. Uh, and then as we kept growing and, and things kept working and improving and, and people started writing good stuff about it as opposed to bad stuff, because at first people were writing bad things. Right. Because it's all new. You know, I remember, I want to say Wall Street Journal, Forbes, or a couple others that wrote the stuff we were doing like in social was bad for brands. It was too risky is what everyone was saying. Uh, brands shouldn't sound like people sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, it, it as we started to prove there is a connection between – you know, actually having a unique and interesting brand voice in in digital platforms and being able to scale that and it's reaching the right people and it's and we we can have some attribution. Then uh, then quickly my uh, my clout sort of grew, and ultimately the team's ability to to affect the entire budget grew. Yeah, did everything sort of start to turn around in like 2014 for social? Because that's when I started working in this whole industry and it's weird because when i started interning at our agency that eventually opened into a job because prior there was no social media team or anything even like that it was pretty new for our clients at the time to even be using social media for any substantial work you know it didn't there weren't that many brands at least on like the regional level obviously you had your more international brands like wendy's who were playing with that space for a few years but it seemed like more of an open space where there wasn't a whole lot going on up until that point so i think the the turning point really was before maybe 2013 2014 digital was viewed as a um this little kind of thing that you could do if you wanted to do it if you felt like doing it and everyone thought it was free 
Right. So that's why they let people do it because there's nobody's on there anyway. Nobody's seeing it and doesn't cost anything. So go ahead and play if you want to play intern kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I vividly remember having conversations in 2011, 2012, even in my own organization about, well, why don't we just hire an intern to do that? Or if we just get somebody who's in their twenties, they can do that. And my argument internally, and and I was in my, you know, early thirties. So I was relatively young, but my argument at the time was, no, we have to take this. This is the brand and this is going to be the brand if we do it right. So what we really need to do is have a center personality, a center voice, you know, that everything is connected to. We can develop it here. We can play with it here. And we can we can see what consumers react to in a positive way and, and builds up what we want to build up about the brand. And then we can spin it off to other places. So I would say 2014-ish, maybe 2015 for a lot of companies was when it sort of became accepted that this is a part of real marketing, not mm-hmm. just this play thing on the side. Um and, and I also would argue that the platforms around that time really started to act like businesses and a little less like startups. Right. So that helped because then all of a sudden, you know, something like a Nugs for Carter or, a, you know, one of the 50 or 60 viral moments that we were fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, in 2016, 2017-ish time frame, uh, those moments are seriously, uh, seriously enhanced when you have partnerships with a platform that are are based on kind of mutual gain. So if if when something starts to take off, you have help from that platform to develop, you know, the message to boost it when when necessary to build out the resources to make it bigger. You know, put the per, put put Carter on Ellen, not just you know promote his tweet kind of thing. Right. Um, it really sort of changes the level of, of, of reach that something can achieve, and that changes an organization's view. But I think you're right. That, it was a turning point around 2014, 2015. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting because hearing you talk about all this from sort of those earlier years of social media when a lot of this was more open game and Wendy's really carved out a specific market in that space, which to na- obviously now we know in 2019 that they're pretty much the social media queen of all this space. So it's interesting how you you built that team out and you created all these viral moments and really, in a lot of people's eyes, encapsulated what a brand is capable of doing on social. So now, flash forwarding to Potbelly with what you're doing now, you and I, me through the Stakem account and you guys through Potbelly, we've had a bunch of interactions. We're friends with a lot of the same content creators and followers through Twitter specifically. Specifically, so like, how do you see the landscape as it's changed from then to now? As far as like how difficult it is for a brand to really break out onto the scene now that so many brands have sort of infiltrated the space and it's become a lot more flooded as far as what actually stands out or can go viral. Yeah, so I think it's it is a little harder from a standpoint that if you just sound like a person or human being, uh, you don't stand out anymore. You know, that, that was kind of the biggest differentiation. I think when we started pushing Wendy's one, it was a challenger brand. So we, we were challenging to other brands, but also to just the space. Uh, but really what stood out was we, we sounded like a person and a consistent person, I think. Um, now a lot of brands do that. Uh, you know, they saw that success and they jumped on it from us and other brands like Denny's and, and Moon Pie. And there's, there's, you know, dozens that over the last four or five years have really taken off. Um, but I, I do think you can't just sound like a person anymore. I think the challenge is, uh, like any medium, 
what happens is first people use the medium in a way that's interesting and people pay attention and that you have to develop that. So you think about radio or television, you know, commercials used to be someone talking at you saying, go buy this thing because it's great yep. or the doctor recommends it or whatever. Right. That was like yeah, early days forward. Yeah, it was it was literally a pitch. It was come buy this thing because I say it's great. And then it developed to like celebrities doing that. Come buy this thing because I think it's great. And then companies and brands actually had to get creative. They actually had to tell stories. They actually had to compel you because of something differentiated about the brand, not just the product. Uh, that made it interesting. It went from, you know, we used to call it hat creative at my old place. Here's a thing, you know, buy a thing or whatever to, you know, here's a reason you should actually pay attention and care about our brand and our product. Right. I think that's the evolution that social is going through right now. All digital, I would argue, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, an, an ad was an interruption. That was its only purpose was to interrupt and it pays for your ability to consume whatever content it is, whether you're flipping through a magazine, listening to a radio or, or watching television. Now ads are somewhat optional, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to consume an ad. If you want to skip the ad in YouTube, nine times out of ten, you can. If you want to scroll by the thing or block the person in social, you can easily do that. So that, that just levels up sort of the ability uh, or the need, I should say, for brands to actually be interesting, to to have a compelling story or a compelling point of view that, that grabs your attention. So I think – it's very healthy. It's very typical in any medium. And we're going to see the newer mediums that are starting to pop right now, you know, go through the same evolution. But it just it's it's becoming more of a creative function and less of a, uh, you know, hire the 25 year old kind of thing, which I would argue never really was. Right. Um, so so I think brands that are jumping on that sound like a human. That's great. That's that's better than sounding like robots or, or corporations. I think the worst thing for any platform is for for you to feel like. Uh, brands are interruptive to the platform or they're they're actually pulling the platform backwards. I would argue that some of the pressure on Facebook right now is is some of the the brands that are using it are not doing it to improve the platform. Some, in some cases, they're using it just to scream their name, and that's bad. Um, and that just means people like you and, and people like the people I get to hire and, and the agencies out there like VML who did Wendy's work, they, they're challenged to get better. And that's that's awesome. That's good for consumers. I think that's good for brands, too. Yeah, I agree. The weird thing about Facebook and Instagram right now is just that they essentially own the entire space of paid advertising for the majority of brands, where you got millions of different brands and people that are using their advertiser tools that are, even though you know over the past few years their algorithms have changed and organic reach has gone down, and they're really, it's almost the point now where people are getting the the least bang for their buck but it's still more and better than they're gonna get pretty much anywhere else so it's like it's interesting because brands are essentially forced to use those platforms still because of what they're able to offer compared to other platforms like even twitter which you and i operate in a lot it's twitter's in my view at least, fantastic because it hasn't really... It's almost like its failure is why it's so great because it hasn't really figured out a way to become super um, marketable, I guess, to advertisers. Like, you can advertise... 
tweets and you can promote tweets, but it isn't at the same level as far as like saturating people's feeds as it is on Facebook or Instagram. So it kind of has this whole different culture where it's almost like Reddit. It's almost, it almost has this feel of, you know, you can choose who you follow, you choose what you see and it's a lot more organic. And as far as there's like a, there's still somewhat of a streamline of content in chronological order. Whereas with Facebook and even Instagram now, a lot of that's changed with algorithms over time. And it's gotten a lot more difficult, I feel like, for any brands to maintain any level of authenticity for those platforms because almost everything is pay to play. And really the only community that you're able to harbor on a platform like Facebook is if you put X amount of dollars into ads and then your ads are getting in front of people and then those people are interacting with you so you get to respond to them. Whereas with something like Twitter, you or I could put a brand tweet out right now and organically within seconds we have people choosing to interact with it. So it's a lot more, I guess, organic in the sense that people are able to choose to engage with the brand and then you can actually build somewhat of brand to consumer relationships from there whereas with a lot of these more saturated um, ad platforms it's harder to do that now for moving forward so do you have any thoughts on that yeah man, I, I i in general agree with you i think there's nothing wrong with a platform being an ad platform you know facebook serves a very important role in a lot of people's uh right. a lot of people's uh portfolios I, I it does for us i know and it, it will continue to do so uh, in fact we don't spend nearly enough with instagram or, or facebook but it is an ad platform that's its purpose i i really can't develop a brand voice you know, like I can on Twitter or, or you mentioned Reddit, for example, um, as easily as I can on, on, on those platforms, it's much easier because you have real time feedback from consumers organically versus having to essentially pay to expose your message right. uh, to people. But I, but I think, you know, we sort of bucket Facebook closer into, you know, YouTube ads into, uh, kind of direct response kind of ads. And that's fine. Um, it's just a bit of a different role. Right. Um, but I do think Facebook will figure it out. You know, people with Facebook are smart and ultimately, you know, the core of their business is they want to provide a platform that I think, uh, you know, con- that consumers want to utilize. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're dealing with certain segments of the population, it's still critical. They have, they've got mass. Yeah, it's still the um, biggest out there. That's what I always tell people. It's like, it might not be the place where you and all your cool friends are hanging out anymore, but they're still, they still have the numbers. They're still growing. It's still, it's still a force out there. Yeah. I, I think, and I would argue it's sort of like, uh, fast food people even who say they don't use it use it right. uh, you know so it's on your right. phone and you do use it you just you may not use it the same way you use something else you know you're gonna tell your friends hey I'll meet you here because it's a cool place on the corner but the truth is kind of your your it's part of your everyday cycle so and I do think they're gonna they're gonna get their you know they, they've hit a couple bumps, but I think they'll absolutely straighten things out. Uh, brands go through this all the time, where they have to sort of reestablish what you know what their role in the world is. Um, and as an advertiser, I, I frankly uh, am encouraging that. I hope I hope 
they continue to improve because we need better platforms. Right. If, if all that's left in the world is the network television stations, uh, we're back to reach as our only vehicle to be a brand. And, and then only the big boys win, and I don't think that's fair to brands. Yeah. And that's no fun. So. But, I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about just how um, it's a little bit more difficult to find a brand voice or stand out online now that the space has become more full of brands trying this whole strategy and trying to be more human and different and all that. So I'm interested to know, like, for you specifically, what's it like building your brand voice today through pop belly because for me personally like with Stakem, the weirdest part of that entire voice that we've built is that most of it is just how i communicate day to day so for me like on the internet not a lot of that is consistent and that's intentional almost because like if i'm communicating with you know x number of friends over here and then y number of friends over here and they're completely different people with different interests and we talk we share different humors i'm going to approach different crowds with different acronyms or maybe i'll use all caps or maybe i'll intentionally use poor grammar or spell something a little wrong like depending on who i'm talking to or like the context of what i'm saying maybe i'm trying to incorporate some kind of meme or leet speak or whatever it might be so for you like like you said a lot of these brands are also working in that space where they're essentially just trying to sound like you're hip cool relatable person or whatever that might be so how difficult has it been for you to kind of carve out a space and make an actual brand voice that you can pitch that's more consistent yeah actually it's the most fun part of my job uh it's the reason that i loved being a wendy so much and part of the reason i left actually was i felt like we had established something and and it was kind of on a great path so there was no reason to to keep keep doing what i was doing Your job was done uh, well i guess but uh and the team is still killing it which is awesome uh you know i love they did that thing with hbo yesterday with the name hbo thing was awesome yesterday but they you know i just love the fact that you can build something and it can kind of hold up to the tides that right. come in that makes me that makes me feel really good but but it's actually the most fun part of my job um so for me i actually don't start from social media. So my, my, and part of it is my age. I'm, I'm, I just turned 39 a few weeks ago. So, you know, I didn't actually grow up as a kid on social media. So for me, my, my view is always, what does the brand stand for? And then how can I make that a, a modern voice in the platforms that matter for the people that care about the brand? Mm. And I know that sounds a bit, uh, like BS, but it's, it's absolutely true. So Wendy's, for example, is not snarky because that would get attention. Now it did get attention, but it's snarky because it was snarky in 1984 for where's the beef. That's why. Right. Because in that commercial, she called out Burger King and McDonald's and called them out for essentially not uh, delivering for customers. So the snark of the brand was, you know, almost 30 years old when I was there. Yeah, it's built. It wasn't new. 
so I, I just, we just said, Hey, that's the brand. Let's be that. So let's embrace the original positioning. The reason Dave built the company was he wasn't happy with the, the burger joints out there. He said they weren't delivering the kind of product that people want. So these, and, and if you look at the very early Dave spot, we did this. So the exercise that got us to the brand voice was us going back with actually a, a, a external group that helped us do this, go back and look at the very early marketing of the brand when it was first established, the first 10 years, essentially. And what was it? And we, we called it, where's the beef and angry Dave? Because <laughs> Dave was mad that you would go to any other brand because they were so much worse than Wendy's. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so angry Dave and where's the beef led to a voice where we were the challenger. And in fact, we had a name for it called challenger with charm. The idea that we still were night, we still were a good person. We just thought you shouldn't sell for this garbage that other people were selling. And did that come off as aggressive sometimes? Absolutely. And that got us in trouble a lot. So, you know, I vividly remember getting calls from board members and, and important people in the company because they were uncomfortable with some of the things we were doing early on. Yeah. But but ultimately, that, that's what we needed. So I'm doing the exact same thing here at Potbelly. You know, Potbelly's been around since 1977, so it's been around a long time. This is a brand that was founded. It was an antique store that started selling sandwiches because people were hanging around the shop. Wow. It had nothing to do with sandwich culture, with Subway, with anything else. It right. was just we're hanging, we're calm, we're happy. The idea was you love being in the space. And the sandwich has to complement that. So what we're starting to build out is what does this brand look like? So if you look at the posts that we're doing, I'm playing. I'm playing from, you know, Twitter is probably the best example because I can get the quickest feedback there. We're playing everything from challenging the industry a bit to say, hey, you should you should actually want to eat the sandwich you're eating. You know, I joke some of the bars we throw out are like your sandwich shouldn't taste like 87 octane because we don't we're not in gas stations <laughs> like a lot of folks. Um, but we're, we're playing on that side of should we be a little bit more aggressive and more proud of the product. We're also playing on the side of, hey, we're just not like everybody else, and that's okay. It's about the space. So when I put something out on Twitter, 90% of the time, the post itself is not that important. It's actually the interaction in the thread. Right, right. Because that's what, our, that's what we were founded to be. The the actual sandwich, while is amazing, I would, I would put our sandwiches, popular sandwiches against any other product in any sandwich shop in the country. They're amazing. It's actually about the experience you have when you show up. Mm. And that's what I'm, I'm starting to do is the thread is where you actually are, are experiencing the brand. That's such a good way of putting it too, because I mean, like I've noticed this and there's similarities between our brands in this way as well, where when I see some of your tweets, a lot of them don't even have anything to do with sandwiches or the product. Like they're just funny, almost jokes or lifestyle type tweets, which I get a lot of feedback for our tweets as well, where I might just tweet something and there's people like, wait, this has nothing to do with Steakum. Like, what is this? But then all the magic happens in those responses and it happens in those relationships that you're able to flesh out a little bit like that, which is a very strange, like it is a very new concept. I mean, this whole idea that you're talking about right now, like for a lot of brands, I mean, this is still, it's very bizarre in people's minds, which you get a lot of the people the users on Twitter who love to say stuff like, oh, 2018 or now 2019. Like, it's so crazy. We're talking to brands. But it's this very bizarre space where 
brands are able to carve out like a niche, uh, like a space online where you can just write jokes or write tweets and then interact with people as if you are the uh, people behind the shop. So like, what's that? Is there, do you have a sort of protocol with that? Like, do you, do you treat that as like a first person? Like, let's kind of break down the fourth wall, but not too much. Like, what are you, like, how do you ride that line when you're interacting with users on Twitter specifically? Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, I go back to the brand. I think about it as like, what is the friendly interaction, the fun interaction you'd have sitting at lunch with buddies? Because that's what, once again, that's, I go back to the brand. You know, you, you kind of started the question with, is it hard to cut out a unique space? I'd argue that is the space I'm starting to cut out. I don't know if it's going to be where we actually land, mm. but I want to pull you in with something that, that hopefully has a little bit of cultural relevance, is a little bit interesting because that's what we are. We're, we're kind of the cooler version of a lot of people out there who do what we do. But then I want to actually have a great conversation with you. And we're not overthinking it yet. I'm writing 99% of what goes out on Twitter right now, for example. Um, so we're not overthinking it yet, but we want it to be lighthearted, easy, friendly, generally positive. We push back sometimes when, when someone's being weird, um, but generally positive. Uh, on top of all that, you know, when somebody is being aggressive, we try to pull them back around because we are friendly. We're, that's one thing that our brand's known for is is people come in and they actually have fun. People who work in our restaurants actually have a lot of fun, part of the reason they join the brand. Um, but I think that is exactly where we're, we're trying to play is, is it's about the conversation you're going to have with buddies at lunch because that's what we're about. We're, we're The sandwich is the – it's sort of like, you know, the way I've described it to my team, at least where it's starting to go, is – is if, if you go to somebody's house during the summer and they have a pool, everyone hangs around the pool. It doesn't matter if you're swimming or not. The pool is what everybody hangs around, right? Yeah. That's the center thing. That is the personality of the brand. Everything's got to be around that pool. Now, you can sit on the side, drink a beer, and never put your foot in the water, but the personality still has to be the center of every conversation. So as we look at like the, the responses we make, if it doesn't sound like it's it's – sitting near that pool or in the pool, then we got to talk about, is that the right thing to do? Right. So, so I haven't, we haven't figured it out yet, but, um, I do feel like we're making progress. You look at the thing we did yesterday, you know, we're joking that we have a zero tolerance policy for dabbing in our stores. And, <laughs> I and love that. that. Yeah. I mean, it's just a goof that sort of, you know, we know is totally tongue in cheek and whatever, but that's not the point of it. Nobody cares about that post. They care about the interactions inside. The, the what I want to see and what I'm seeing all day long, yesterday, all day today, is people re, uh, putting posting that tweet and saying, "You need to read this thread." That's what I want. If that right. starts happening on a regular basis, then I feel like we're accomplishing the brand goal, which is gather around at lunch, have fun, be friendly have a fun conversation with buddies at lunch. I don't know if that's where we're ultimately going to land, but, um, but it is interesting. I don't really see other brands doing it, and that's what makes me excited about it, and it fits the brand positioning, which is ultimately something i got to spin off to about 50 other mediums. So got to establish it here and then and build it up in other places. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I love what uh, Potbelly has been doing on Twitter. It's really cool. And, like, I know the one thing you and I both have in common with this as well is, like, we've befriended – a lot of the joke writers and the content creators on Twitter, which they kind of, in my mind, like in recent years at least especially, they've really defined a lot of the space as far as different styles of text, like how they, how you write jokes as far as 
formats and different uh, grammatical styles and all that. You know, you have everything from weird Twitter to joke Twitter and everything in between. So it's been interesting just getting to know a lot of these content creators individually and as groups because a lot of them are kind of friends and cliques and whatnot. So, I mean, is there, like, when you look at the sort of broader community of joke writers and content creators online like do you in the future see a more integrated role with them like as far as how they could interact or boost brands or vice versa like any kind of relationship with what advertisers are doing i mean i I think they could split a few different ways and and this is this is no different to me than the kid in art school who's sketching things that are really cool right now and ultimately becomes an art director in an agency hmm. it's no different it's just you're you're writing you're writing it's yeah. it's so if you're a journalist major and you end up writing for an ad agency or for a brand you know this is just a different form of communication and creative communication so I think what ends up happening is, or what has happened at least in very recent years, is some of these, frankly, kids in some cases, in their teens or 20s, yep. will find that they're funny, they're joking with their buddies, and they find they're funny, and and then you know he or she starts posting on a platform like, like Twitter or Instagram or Reddit or whatever, starts to get this huge following, and then has no idea what to do with it, right. just, just as being themselves, and... And that's awesome, but for most of them, they don't know that that could actually be something real, that that could be a career, that people want that, that a lot of brands want that. Yeah, no one in their life is telling them that. Like, their parents don't know, their teachers don't know. Like, there's not really any communication on their, their skills in that way. So, so you know what I'm what I'm trying to do, and I think you're trying to do too a bit, is over the last you know four, three or four years I've been lucky enough to do things that get attention, so people tend to find me, and 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 when I see somebody that's really interesting, I find, I mean the way I, the way I found you know a good chunk of the team anyways for Wendy's, you know Amy our, our first social media person was I, I trolled them online, go around and find people who are funny that sounds sort of like the voice we want to establish. It's exactly what I'm doing right now for Pop Ellie is I'm looking at people that are interesting that kind of sound like what I want to sound like. So they don't have to work so hard to, to do it. You know, in your case, you sort of invented it, but I'm trying to start with a brand position and ultimately find a person that's, you know, 60% of the way there and right, then can right. get 90% of the way there. And, and, and these, they have a skill set, and I think they look at, you know, I got a hundred thousand, 200,000 followers online and they don't actually translate that to anything that's real. So instead they're doing things like Patreon, which is okay. But they're not – I don't even know if I said that right. I've yeah, only you, read you it. Did it. Yeah, you so, got oh, it. There you go. I feel good. Um, I, I harass my – I got a 12-year-old son and I harass him. I call it a, a Mimi sometimes just to drive <laughs> nuts. So. Um, but the – you know, they don't even know that, that that companies actually want that. Right. But there are constraints there. You know, if you're going to write as a company, you got to deal with legal. You got to deal with with brand voice. You can't you can't talk about things that are really easy to get attention for like sex and drugs and all exactly. this other stuff. Yeah. So, so – if they're comfortable with those constraints and comfortable writing for a brand, and I, and I challenge them sometimes. You know, I'm on. You know, I'm sure you're in these chat rooms too, like these DM rooms, and Twitter. Everything happens and, in the DMs. That's right, man. So <laughs> so I'll post something out and be like, "You guys think this is funny?" And nine times out of ten, people aren't rude because they you know know who that that you know I, I'm actually like at a company and all that. Right, right. But um, but you know, you either get silence if it's not funny. That's usually my answer, <laughs> or they try to rewrite it and. 
you get maybe one out of five that are really good. You get two or three out of five that are uh, have something in it that you know will grab attention, but you know a brain can't say. Mm-hmm. And then you get one or two that you know are just really reworks of what you have. And it's not because they're not good. It's because they're not used to working within some sort of constraint. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think there's huge value in that. And actually, I, in my Twitter profile, and I don't use Twitter myself a whole lot personally. I use it through brands. But in my Twitter profile, I say, you know, try to hook up social media uh, rock stars with brands because the you know, the handful of times I've been able to do that, uh, you know, everybody wins. Right. Because the brand wants the content. They want the creative people. The people, if they can be on Twitter for a living or Reddit or Facebook or Instagram, whatever their platform is for a living, they actually are enjoying their job. Um, you just got to find those people that are willing to do it and willing to live within a bit of constraint. Yeah. And it is kind of like a paradox between creators on social media and online culture in general, and then advertisers and brands, because there's this sort of stigma or environment, whatever you want to call it, that's been around really since the beginning of the internet where, you know, people, Like in the very beginning, like say late 90s, early 2000s, people were in these internet communities like Something Awful or like um, E-Bombs World or whatever it might have been. And you have all these like deep nerds, like people that work in tech or into video games, whatever it might be. And they're online sharing their culture and their jokes and, you know, Photoshopping images and all that stuff. And it all in the very beginning, it was very organic and it was it was very new. And as time's gone on, like more users like me and you and just the kind of everyday population, the the normies, as we've uh, come and ascended on social media. Now there's billions of users all around the world. It's kind of this weird space because as people have grown with it, obviously advertisers have grown with it too. I always tell people with um, with on Twitter specifically because people get so mad sometimes at brands. It's like, oh, like, get this brand out of my feed or like I don't want to see this advertising right now. But it's this weird thing because it's like a trade-off because obviously these platforms exist in a free way that we can all use them because advertisers are willing to pay to advertise on them so it's like you're gonna get just like television or youtube or whatever it is like you're gonna get your content in so far as you know brands are willing to engage with their consumers on it so like how do you see yourself as a brand and sort of brands in general like weaving into this space where we're trying to be quote-unquote authentic as you know individuals like you said like we, we see the the value in creators and we see the value in joke writers and and all this and how they could easily fit into the industry of what we do but then simultaneously it's like we know we're kind of using the platforms and we're using the people on it for our own gains for our jobs like how do you navigate that space yeah i mean i think brands have to be respectful of the fact that you know people don't come to any content distribution platform for the brand mm-hmm. 99 out of 100 times you're not there to see the brand right if you're watching hulu you're not watching hulu for the commercials right, if right. you're watching and that's a paid service right yep. and you're watching netflix you don't necessarily want to see the trailer in front of even the show that you're going to watch exactly it's like the super bowl is the only space we go to for the ads <laughs> That's right. And most of those people criticize and say they're stupid and brands are wasting their money. So even then it's snarky, right? So so I think brands have to recognize that. I think brands also have to have a bit of a thick skin because 
the easiest thing for anyone to do when they see an ad, no matter no matter the ad, is to say their brand doesn't get it or it's not funny or it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to have some balance where you understand that some people not if everyone likes what you're doing, you're not doing it right. So so that's I think that's a part of it. But I, I think when it comes down to it, you know, people do make a bit of a deal with these platforms to to have access to you know, the communities that exist there and somebody does have to pay for it. So brands are, are paying for it. I think the best brands recognize that they are guests there, mm. that they're not the thing to be highlighted. Right. And, and again, we kind of talked about this at Facebook a little bit. I think when brands become the primary reason you're there, like television in some cases has become like, uh, you know, you, you name the platform that's very developed in some cases has become mm-hmm. when you go get a magazine and it's two thirds ads, you're not there for the brand. And if a brand recognizes that and says, Hey, I'm going to try to at least fit in a little bit, even though no matter what I do, my clothes aren't going to fit perfectly in this environment. Yeah. Um, most people respect that. And recognize that. That's why people see an ad like, you know, in the Super Bowl last year when the tie ads came on, you heard very little negative about it. And I think it's because they they were sort of self-effacing and, and self-aware and interesting. Now, it didn't keep working. They're still running them and people aren't as into them anymore mm. because the joke's sort of over. But if a brand is is aware that they are a guest in a space and acts appropriately to be a guest in that space, um, the majority of sentiment, I think, is, is generally positive. I mean, people were really rough on Wendy's when we first started doing it. They were. I'd say it was 50-50 at best. Yeah. Because if you remember back in 2011, the, the conversation was really about fast food makes kids fat. And these brands are making, you know, they're only catering to a certain group of people, and that's bad. Or they're ripping people off because they changed their 99 cent menu to a dollar. Right. It was like exactly. the hipster movement. It was like this new, like, free range. Oh. We were coming into this whole new environment for advertising. I mean, Chipotle was ripping on on fast food at the time. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a free-for-all where people were very negative against this thing. And, and what I would are you turned it around, at least from a Wendy's standpoint, was we acted like we, you know, actually understood the context that we were delivering our message in. Right. right. So recognize that we're a guest in the space. So I think if brands remember that, that makes a huge difference. That doesn't mean you're going to, you know, fellow kids your way through everything. And that, and again, that comment will come on everything you do that's even interesting. Yeah, it doesn't but, matter really. Yeah, and you will get compared to everything. I mean, it's hilarious. Every single major thread that blows up for Potbelly, there's only been, you know, maybe six or eight, we get compared to Wendy's every time. <laughs> yep. And saying we're trying to copy Wendy's. And yep. if anybody just clicks back at my bio, they, they understand it. <laughs> exactly. So so we get compared to you guys, Steakum. We get compared to Denny's, and we which doesn't make any Wendy's. sense. It's yet. just like this circle of <laughs> Yeah, everybody's just and I think it, it's okay. It's it's all right. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't it's not bad. In fact, I think it's a bit of a compliment. But I mean when someone like says you're just trying to be like Denny's, we're nothing like Denny's. Exactly. I love what Denny's does, but it's it's weird times five. You know, that's not what we're trying to be. So See, I think I think you just have to recognize you're a guest in that space. They're not there for you. So try not to interrupt their world. Try to give them something that makes them hopefully smile a little bit and in a way that complements your brand and builds up your brand. 
And when I have somebody say to me, and, and I have people internally here at Pop Ellie and, and other people connected to the brand who don't get what we're doing yet, when they say, well, why would you say no dabbing? We don't prevent dabbing in a restaurant. <laughs> My comment is, it's got nothing to do with that. Look at the thread. People are, they get the joke. Yep. And for the five people out of the 400,000 that are touched, 500,000 that are touched by that joke that don't get it, that's okay. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're never going to appease 100% of the people that read literally anything you write on social media. <laughs> you're always going to get that one disgruntled person, whether it's some kid who's offended or a disgruntled boomer or whatever it might be. But I think you, you really touched on something. That I love that whole attitude of like treating it like you're a guest in this house or this a guest in this space because, for me... It is kind of a dance where I think on the the uh, opposite end of that take would be like obviously with what we do we have to push the boundaries a little bit and kind of test like where how far we can push things and where we can fit into these conversations. So on one hand it's like yeah, we really do have to be respectful of all the the broader conversations going on and and what this culture is really like and like how we fit into it. But then on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, how, I, I, as a brand, like, okay, we need to stand out. We need to do something different. And the ways we do that, you know, we're always trying new things and new strategies. And it's interesting because one that I feel has a backfiring effect to, to, um, to the degree of what you're talking about is I've noticed a lot of brands start to creep their way into political conversations, which is this very bizarre space because, again, on one hand, I can respect and appreciate the drive to want to to push the boundaries and try to involve a brand in, like, more polarizing issues or even issues that maybe aren't so polarizing that are kind of like your social brownie point issues. If it's something like gay marriage, which at least on the, in the landscape of social media, that's kind of the battle has kind of been won in like the broader pop culture. So if a brand, depending on what the brand is, obviously some brands, it would be a lot more divisive, but for certain, for a lot of brands at this point, if they were to say to take a stand on an issue like that in some ambiguous branded way, it would be most likely deemed as heroic or or just like a, a net positive in some way, whereas there's other issues that are a lot more divisive and polarizing, like with immigration or whatever it might be. So like, I'm interested to hear your thoughts moving forward as the space online becomes increasingly more political and more divisive you said it there where you feel like you want to you know make sure you respect the space and treat it like you're a guest in in these people's houses but how do you see the role of brands insofar as how they're able to engage with social causes and political causes and sort of the like more serious for lack of a better word conversations that are happening every day like on our feeds 24 7 like how do you do you see yourself as remaining as the kind of getaway like you were saying before like the sort of sandwich shop where people are coming just to hang out and the sandwich is just part of that and you don't want to push too hard into any of that or do you see yourself as kind of finding a rhythm in any of the the more socially integrated causes and and uh, stuff that's been really perpetuated on social media the past few years so I would argue the um, 
the flaw with most marketing that that ends up misfiring is you think about the either the outcome or the um, the tactic before you really think about the brand and the position and the voice. Mm. So there are brands that can be political. Patagonia can certainly be political. I would argue Apple in some cases can be political. Um, there are brands that can be political because that is part of their brand positioning, right? So it, it's got to start with what does the brand stand for? So if the brand is by its nature or by its uh, REI, you know, is an example, if, if it's by its nature or by its its niche in the market aligned with certain causes, then that to me that easily becomes an outlet that can be communicated through social channels. Is it controversial? Yeah. But I think what most times what actually happens is not that. What most times what happens is someone either has a personal opinion, which personal is different than a brand opinion. My politics are not the same as my brands. Exactly. They're mine. So it's it's the the personal opinion they wish to express, and they have a bullhorn to do it through a brand, which is a huge mistake. Yeah, we all and we've seen that. Like I've definitely in the era of Trump, you know, I've seen a lot of brands post anti-Trump sentiment. Like there was the one, I, I forget, I don't think it was the McDonald's main account, but it was like it might have been somewhere in the UK where they tweeted something Trump-related and then deleted it a few minutes or, like, an hour later, and it was like, whoa, like, where did that come from? <laughs> I think the one is if personal, I think this, the, and it does happen. I think the second is they do it because they know it's an easy way to get attention. Right. And now, now I say that, but I also say if it aligns to what the brand stands for, it's great. We, I, from Potbelly, I posted some things, some political things, mm-hmm. and I'm doing it because I'm trying to figure out what the politics of the brand should be based on that positioning yeah. a bit. And I know that sounds a bit Machiavellian, but when it comes down to it, if, if it is within the context of the brand's positioning, it's great. When REI says, you know, something political because they're all about outdoors and, and you know, reuse and conservation or Patagonia or whatever, people understand it and actually builds yeah, up the brand. Sense. Yeah. When, when McDonald's does, it's a little harder, you know, because you don't really know what their political leaning maybe should be. I, I personally and, and – you know, I certainly understand the other perspective. I personally am, am fine with brands being political. In fact, I I say it's a good thing mm-hmm. as long as it's from a core place of this is our voice. And you think about Potbelly, for example, um, very different than Wendy's. Wendy's founded in Columbus, Ohio, very, very Midwestern, especially suburban Midwestern, um, is a brand that, uh, you know, was kind of a capitalist dream where you had a guy build this thing up from nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His daughter is the symbol of the brand. So, you know, you have a, a literally a, a eight year old girl as your logo, which we reworked, but still is an eight year old girl. Um, she's a real person. Wendy is a real honest to God person and is a franchisee and is awesome. It's very different than Potbelly, a brand started in Chicago by some hippies in an antique shop that is mostly urban you know, mostly in cities that, you know, most of its politics don't lean the same direction that Wendy's do. Yeah. So, so I think it all depends on the positioning of the brand and you, you need to be careful that you aren't choosing a side for the wrong reasons. If it's for, for quick, a quick win, because you know, it'll get retweeted or it'll get, you know, upvoted or whatever. I think that's a serious mistake. Or if it's for your own personal reasons, it's a really serious mistake. And frankly, you should be fired if you do that. Right. right. Um, 
If it's for the brand, that's different. And that's a conversation you have to have in your organization. I, I have the luxury of being the CMO of the brand. So for me, I, I'm sort of making most of those decisions, working with management here, obviously, to ensure that I'm moving the right direction. But uh, for most brands, if you're the social media lead, you're like four or five rungs off of the people that can make that decision. Exactly. So you better talk about it. And make sure that you're not doing something personal or just for attention. And it doesn't matter if you get the most retweeted or upvoted or whatever thing ever done for the brand if it doesn't build up the brand. Yeah, That's especially what in today's culture where all it takes is, you know, one – you could do one tweet like that. And then, like, the next day it's being circulated in mainstream media. And then – that's like the latest news for whatever your brand itself as a whole did. People often forget like what impact social media has at that level when it comes to a brand's overall perception because there is that sort of trickle down where yeah, like maybe the people who aren't as active on social media won't know about this this week, but if it's bad enough or polarizing enough, it's going to make its way through the news cycle, into the newspapers, whatever it might be. And yeah, I, I definitely, I totally, I'm on the same page as you with all this. And it's interesting because similarly enough with Stakem, you know, we have sort of not, it's obviously a completely different brand DNA, but similar enough, uh, I guess, clout, you could say to get into some of these areas like being a family-owned company and doing a lot of regional and national charity work you know kind of gives us in the brand voice itself to work within that space of bringing people together and speaking up on difficult issues and not really it's almost like a third way ish like attempt i guess at a voice where it's not really picking a side it's more highlighting or showing you know this is the issue and you know we're trying to just offer commentary and offer i guess like a little bit more of like a space away from the polarization so it is interesting how as brands you can kind of figure out over time you know where where do you fit into that space because for a lot of brands whether like a clothing brand or whatever that might have more progressive leaning values then obviously if that's your target audience if that's your brand infrastructure then it makes way more sense for you to get political in those ways that fit what it is you are and what it is you're trying to do and i I definitely have seen the past few years really of you know things heating up in the political climate where it does seem like a lot of brands you know it's probably a, a mix of sometimes a rogue social media manager sometimes maybe it's a a strategy that's gone a little haywire where these brands are posting really odd uh, political viewpoints sort of out of context or even in a way that might seem cute or like they're trying to be something but then i look at it i'm like hmm like when i think about that brand as a whole it's a very odd uh thing to reconcile with that viewpoint and what that brand is and that can easily be a slippery slope into something bad yeah, i don't know if you did it on purpose but something funny just kind of happened so you you start we started the conversation with like how do you get respect and and recognized as an actual legitimate force in the world as a digital or social marketer and then you're sort of now we've gotten to the point where we said how can you crash a brand <laughs> so you know there are extremes there right it, i think right, the, right. That, that speaks to i did not how plan that it's become <laughs> Yeah, it speaks to how important it's become and how how influential social is. I mean, I can tell you the the kind of there was a breakthrough moment, and I think I, I actually told you this just when we talked 
previously, a breakthrough moment at Wendy's in 2011, actually, where um, there was this thing where uh, Jamie Oliver came out with a documentary about uh, pink slime, so Mm -hmm. beef that had been run through ammonia, essentially, and processed. And this news had popped like the day before, and and I was literally a few weeks in, I think, if I remember, to, to the gig at Wendy's. And management called me in and I'm like, you know, three levels or two levels below the CMO. So I'm, I'm kind of a pipsqueak in this joint and brand new with the company. And they got the CEO and the CMO and all sorts of C titles sitting in front of me. And, and they pull me into this boardroom of them all sitting there and say, this, this pink slime thing, Brandon, it's going crazy. We've got our PR uh, team on the phone. We've got this happening. Is this happening in, on the internet too? Do people see this? And I had seen it around a bit, but I said, yeah, you know, people are seeing, are talking about it a lot actually yeah. online. And in fact, people are, are in some cases asking the question, does Wendy's use this? So I assume that's why we're sitting here is because you guys are trying to come up with an answer. And, and our head of, you know, our head of culinary said, we have never used this, never have. And I said, okay, well, can I say that? And, yeah. they said, and they said, what do you mean? So I, I plugged my computer in and, you know, I'm like 29 or 31 or something. I'm stupid and, and eager and don't really understand the consequences of what I'm about to do. Plug my computer in. It goes up on the big screen in front of everybody. I Googled, does Wendy's use pink slime? First thing that comes up, was 2011, mind you, was Yahoo Answers. And Yahoo Answers, really big question, does Wendy's use pink slime? Hundreds of people commenting. Nobody knows. So I put, you know, my cursor in and I said, never have, never will. And I signed it, Brandon, digital marketing director at Wendy's. And I hit enter. Boom. And the whole room, like, started looking at each other. And they said, what just happened? And I said, well, I just posted to this that we're doing it. While we sat there, in three or four minutes, it became the most, you know, oh, I can't remember the term Yahoo answer, upvoted thing on the site. And then within three hours on the, on the 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock news, that was the quote from Wendy's, was, was never have, never will, Brandon, digital marketing director at Wendy's, was the thing that was actually oh, wow. quoted as our official position as a brand. And I think that probably got me uh, you know, two years of, of progress at the brand immediately. Major and if it would have backfired, I probably wouldn't never be talking to you right now because I would be doing something different. <laughs> uh, but, but I do think that it shows, I think the, the conversation we're having shows that this is real. This is an actual thing that brands, and I, and I would argue I, my team was a part of establishing that brands use to, to tell their story, to, to be a brand, and to, to affect, uh, affect their brand and, and culture. So it's a really exciting time to be doing what we do. Uh, and, and fortunately, if you keep in the, con- the larger context of the brand, it's not just your social. It's not just your Twitter or your Reddit or your Facebook or whatever. You actually affect the, the brand positioning and ultimately the, the communication of that brand, which I think is the coolest part of what we do. Right. Yeah. And it's so intimate. Yeah, it really is. Like the only, the only way you can ever get better at knowing when or when not to post something or even in that case where it's like, is, is this the right call to make? Like the only way you can ever, I guess, harness some level of emotional intelligence for dealing with these situations is by jumping in, which is why I think it is so interesting when we look at a lot of the content creators on Twitter or Reddit or any of these platforms where these people, 
who have really dedicated large chunks of their lives on a day-to-day basis where they're not making money from the actual, like, I guess, personal brand, if we want to call it that, but it is a brand. And like, I've seen tons of content creators and joke writers, whether they maybe accidentally stole something, like stole a meme from someone else, or touched on an issue that was a little bit off-brand and they're getting backlash. Like, I've seen a ton of times where joke writers or content creators have to reel back and reevaluate and kind of, you know, start their approach over again. And it is interesting because that is what we do just on a much, I guess, more dangerous scale where the consequences are a lot higher. So it's, it's really... It is like riding a wave, and we have to kind of always be navigating, you know, what we can and can't say, what's going on in the news right now. Like, I know there was an issue a few years, or I guess it was, was it last year? I'm trying to, it might have been last year, the year before, where uh, there was something in the news about, I think it was James Franco. He was, I, don't, I forget if it was sexual harassment or abuse, or there was something, something bad that he had done in the media, and it was blowing up in the news for like a couple days, and it, en- it ended up blowing over, I think, in like a week or so. But the, the timing of when that happened, I remember someone, it was completely coincidental on social media, where I was on Twitter, and someone was interacting with the Stakem account, and I had a, a James Franco meme in the pipeline it was already like designed like it was from months prior and my coworker walked over and we were just chatting about like what we were doing on social media and he looked at me and he was like oh like he saw the uh, post on my desktop and he was like oh are you gonna are you gonna post that like that's pretty it's pretty out there like that's wild and i was like why is it wild it just feels like a normal post and he's like oh you didn't see the news today and i like looked at the news and it was like the number one trending thing on twitter and i was like wow it's so we have to be so close to what's happening constantly with these conversations because something like that could easily escalate into absolute crisis for the brand within a matter of minutes so it's really it's a it's a very odd and exhilarating space that we're in dealing with this stuff on a day-to-day basis yeah i mean i think that just speaks to your guest again right you have to understand the context of what you're saying and i've had screw-ups you can you go google them you can find things that we did at wendy's that got us in trouble where we didn't understand the context we posted you know content sometimes that had political affiliations that we weren't aware of yeah and you know when you got a team of of a handful of people all trying to speak as one voice and all trying to you know, communicate as a brand in a platform that's constantly changing and evolving and stuff's happening in corners that you don't look in, uh, it, it can be challenging. But that's what also makes it so fun, right? Because you can actually develop a brand voice really, really quickly. It used to take yep. years of traditional advertising. Now can take, you know, a year or two or less exactly. of, of kind of back and forth with real people. Yeah, it's fun, man. Yeah, we can uh, wind it down here since we've been we've been going on for a little bit. But uh, like looking ahead with social media and kind of the whole, we, we've covered a lot of ground as far as the landscape and what things have looked like and how they've changed over the years. When you when you look ahead in the next couple years and the next few years, what do you see as the next thing emerging 
in the world of social media? Is it VR? Is it more integrated ads into our media? Like what, what do you see going on that's going to change things up? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest change that's going to come in the next couple of years is the amount of advertising people consumes is probably going to go down, which has not happened in the history of man. Um, you now can choose to not consume content. The fact mm-hmm. that people are cutting cords and and moving to streaming platforms. I mean, I don't have a cable box in my house. I use DirecTV now to for my you know the family to watch sports, and which is an app. And past that, we're on Netflix and iTunes and all that stuff. Yep, same here. So you know, I think people's ability to avoid avoid brands and avoid advertising is going to continue to increase. And I think that's a good thing because that means brands are going to have to get much better at advertising and telling stories. So, you know, you mentioned about the kind of flocking of people to social sounding like a person. It's going to, it's going to be that in every medium. I think, mm. I think it's going to be, uh, eventually the cost of a TRP on TV is going to go down, which it hasn't gone down in a long right. time. Yeah. Because less people, less and less people are watching those programs, and and as you know, boomers and and you know, people that are that are kind of more likely to to consume a lot of traditional media, either move on from those mediums because they are starting to, or as they uh, decide that. Or, you know, as they they just are consuming less popular content, it's all going to shift. I think the days of, like, Big Bang Theory and Seinfeld and all these huge shows are are starting to wane, actually. Instead, it's going to be your Game of Thrones. It's going to be your, you know, your Stranger Things. And that's really exciting. Um, So I don't know if I have necessarily a technological output because I think VR has got a long way to go before it's a real thing. I think it's more work than it's worth right now. But I do think from a marketing standpoint, really understanding what your brand is and finding consistent ways to communicate that that's actually interesting to people who are, you know, you're interrupting their life by telling your brand story is going to be the huge challenge. And that's really exciting if you're willing to experiment, take some risks and and do the hard work to, to establish a brand, a real brand, not just a, a joke. Yeah, absolutely. And even to that point, I've really just within the past several months noticed those trends where even like on pre-roll YouTube videos and different video ads online, I'm seeing a lot more of these five second, almost anti-marketing marketing ads where brands are starting to do this thing where they're like consciously saying in the ad that we know this is an ad. We're sorry for invading your space, basically. And, like, that's becoming a lot more common, like, this kind of irony, surrealism where brands are kind of having to recognize, okay, people are clicking skip for a lot of these videos. Like, how can we really quickly get into their heads and say, like, something so bizarre or off-putting that they can actually connect to it in some bizarre way, you know? Or, or the opposite side where, like, I've been seeing a lot of ads on YouTube lately where it's the entire content. It's like a 30-minute program. Right, right. That you either skip or you watch 30 minutes of a commercial. <laughs> I've seen you know? too, yeah. You know, and I'm not so just even wild. talking about, you know, Geico screwed around. I mean, Geico's awesome with all the crazy stuff they do, right? But but Geico, you know, screwed around with just, like, I'm going to take up time. But this is – I'm talking, like, you know, somebody produced a, a show, and they want people to watch it. So they yep. run it as a pre-roll ad, and in five seconds you can choose to watch it or not. I'll watch it for 15, 30 seconds, and I was just to be like, that's ballsy, man. Yeah. 
that you would pay to have someone. I mean, what's the difference between that and buying airtime on television? You do exactly. the same thing on on TV. So yep. I do think that the 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 change that's that's already starting to be here, but is really coming. I think is the monopoly that you know, sort of, the, uh, I shouldn't say the monopoly, the level of the ability for people to distribute their content will narrow, I think, brands, because yeah. the consumption of that content will either be so splintered, like it sort of is now, or it will be limited by people's consumption. When I see that Apple Music has no free tier, for example, you know, that's, and, and Spotify obviously does have a free tier, but but when people subscribe to services like that, they they don't listen to the radio anymore. Exactly. It just goes away. When someone truly goes all in cutting the cable, their commercial consumption drops dramatically. And and if they're willing to pay an extra two bucks for the version of Hulu that shows less or no commercials or whatever, that that's a big change. The amount of time people spend in Netflix, where now your product integration looks like Ego in Stranger Things. And not like, uh, or Dairy Queen in Guardians of the Galaxy Two, exactly. Yep, yep. And not like you know an ad where I here come buy this thing. That that's I think that's exciting. That's great for consumers as long as it doesn't become annoying. Like the you know I'd argue the Fiji water girl at the whatever that just happened. Golden Globes yeah, a bit that of was, a that that was a hundred percent integrated. What? <laughs> that was so bizarre. Well, people bought it too, which I give Fiji all the credit in the world, the fact that people bought it, but that was so blatant. Yep. Uh, so when I saw that, I, I think Jamie Lee Curtis or somebody kind of flipped out on him saying, this is obviously an ad and I, I'm not endorsing you because whatever, whatever. Right. But, um, and that's that part I actually don't find as interesting as I find that people are actually buying that as it was legitimately, you know, just a woman roaming around handing out water. Yeah. Um, that happened to, you know, look it like she did happened. in the context she was in. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but I think it is going to become much more challenging for brands to get noticed. And to me, that's that's where the good brands and, and frankly the good marketers, you know, kind of earn their earn their way. Um, and that's really hard. And it's not going to work for every brand. And and I think the brands that have a lot of things to hide. I mean, I, I spent a very short time at a brand I just you know just left before I came to Potbelly. The brands that have problems um, either going to have to really dig in and figure out how to solve those problems and have the patience to do that, or they're going to shrink. And I think that's actually good for the world, right? So if yeah. if if it's harder to get noticed because you're not bombarded with so much garbage, that's good for consumers and it makes the strong brands stronger. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the whole, you know, the whole shtick where people say millennials are killing X industry. It's like, well, industries are changing, times are changing, you know, consumer demand is constantly, every year, like I said earlier, it feels like every year is packed into five years or something like that. You know, it's, everything's becoming much more integrated and just out of this world, really, when it comes to like, the ads we consume. So the, the whole millennials have no patience or no uh, no ability to co- to consume long form content. I think, I think it's total garbage. Yeah, me too. I think <laughs> I think it, millennials are not goldfish. That is the biggest misnomer on the planet. Millennials just have access to better stuff. Yep. So if you don't if you don't earn the time in front of somebody who understands the platform, you won't get it. And that's good. So I think it's when someone says, when I hear someone say, well, millennials just have no they have no attention span. They're they're like goldfish. I always push back and and 
being an old millennial, I guess, depending on who you ask, um, you know, I take it a little personally or an exennial or whatever the hell you want to call me. You're I right take it a little personally, border, but it's not yeah. about that. It's, it's actually about the, uh, it's about the fact that you don't have to consume crap now. Exactly. So you just need to be a better marketer, not complain that someone doesn't have a good attention span. That's, that's a cop out. I love it, man. You're, you're championing uh, millennials and, and not and that social media workers aren't interns and all these uh, stereotypes that just plague the people nowadays. Yeah, it's great. Um, I really appreciate uh, all the time that you've taken out of your day to, to spread your wisdom for the audience and all that. Um, is there any, anything you want to add at the end here? Any, any place you want people to find you or anything you got going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I would throw out is is I mentioned earlier that uh, I do like hooking up uh, great social media people with companies. Uh, companies reach out, uh, you know, several times a year, sometimes several times a month, uh, trying to find good people. So, you know, you can find me on Twitter. It's at B-R-H-O-T-E-N or LinkedIn or whatever. Um, but, you know, if you want to find me and, and connect with me, go for it. I'm always willing to connect with somebody. But beyond that, you know, just if you're a marketer and you're working in a brand and you're not really sure what to do, start with what the brand really stands for and then be brave. Mm. Like totally embrace what that brand stands for and be that brand. It's not a personal thing. It's not about you, uh, even though it may feel like it when you look at the coverage on the back end because everybody assumes it's one person. It's very rarely one person. Right. You know, I was not social media Wendy's by any stretch of the imagination. The team did 99% of the work. I was just the guy, you know, catching bullets when, you know, it was necessary. But, you know, ultimately, you got to start with the brand and you got to be brave because there's so much garbage marketing out there that the reason most marketing doesn't work is because you know it's not going to work as you do it, right? You know it's not very good. Don't put that in the world. And you, when you compromise and you throw that crap in the world, you're, you're actually doing yourself a disservice. You're doing a brand a disservice. Just be brave and embrace the brand. It's amazing what happens when you do that. I second all that and can vouch for your, uh, your care and your attention to the uh, content creators. I know we've had mutual conversations with a lot of them, and it's great what you're able to do with helping people network into these industries that whereas they a lot of times, like we said before, they don't have windows into these fields, so it's super cool that you're able to do that and offer that for a lot of people. But all right, man. Yeah, thanks so much again. And well, I guess I'll catch you online. <laughs> See you online, man. See ya.